Good Vibe Cinema presents Vibe Talking. Hey party people, welcome back to another exciting episode of Vibe Talking, a podcast about films with off-the-charts vibes, films from the golden age of adult cinema. I'm Vic Terry, executive producer of Good Vibe Cinema and the host of this program here, and I am joined by my friend, neighbor, and co-star, Manny V. Hey, what's going on? And this is a very exciting episode here, you guys. This is the uh, premiere of season two. What? Yeah. Oh my god, that's a pretty big deal, right? I feel like we can't say an exciting new podcast anymore, because it has two seasons, right? Well, depending on, <laughs> depending on who you ask, we are a new podcast. Um, <laughs> for those who were not a new podcast, uh, welcome back. Thanks for following along and listening to us. Uh, big announcement for season two. We are going gay. Love that. Yeah. Spicing things up a little bit. And <laughs> we are uh, going to double team this thing with a little uh, double feature. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to be talking about the films of Wakefield Pool. Specifically, we're talking about Boys in the Sand. 1971, and then 1972's Bijou, because uh, these are different than all the other movies we've talked about. First of all, we're not talking about a Gerard Demiano or a Anthony Spinelli <laughs> film, which is all we talked about for the first five episodes. Not uh, a lot to say there. <laughs> yeah, but we're also covering something that has two films that have virtually no dialogue. Um and that was kind of interesting because one of the points that we brought up in our previous episodes was talking about the balance of story and sex and how that all kind of works together. And with these films, it's interesting because there's very little story, but there's enough story to service getting you to the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. All right. So what did you what did you think about these movies? Did you dig them? When you first said to me, you know, one of the films that you wanted to cover was Boys in the Sand. And you're like, I'm kind of iffy about it, though, because, you know, it's it's a gay porn. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. But it was just sort of like it was outside of the realm of what you and I would kind of watch on our own. But I thought the idea was really intriguing. Um, I've never really sat down and watched a gay porn I've seen a few clips and that's kind of about it. So I was just thinking, what is this going to be like? And you had told me just enough to get me interested in watching Boys. But then when we watched it, it was like, okay. Uh, I think around that time, that's when you were like, hey, you should check out this film, Bijou. Okay. And that so. was that was something where I was like, we've got to we got to put these two together because for boys, we could definitely do an episode on that, but it would be a short episode because there's only so much to talk about. Um, but putting the two of them together, and then also just talking about Wakefield Pool and even Casey Donovan, those are both two really interesting characters, and then sort of what they meant both not only for you know the the golden age um, and, and mainstreaming of porn. But then also mainstreaming of gay porn and being able to bring that sort of representation to people who existed but were not seeing any representation of themselves out there. So I thought that was really interesting and really cool. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, so I actually saw Boys in the Sand like a couple years ago. And 
when I had watched it, I had actually heard about it before I saw it. And it was kind of a similar situation to Devil and Miss Jones in that I went in with very high hopes, very much excitement being built up, which that's kind of interesting. Like, Deep Throat, even though it was like the most iconic movie ever, you know, to some extent, like, I didn't know anything about that movie when I watched it. Yeah. I didn't know any of the history. I had heard the name, but I didn't even really realize the impact that it had had. And so I went into that with just fresh eyes and just had my reaction to it. Boys in the Sand, I actually was a lot more familiar with because I had seen it on The Deuce, on that HBO series about the golden age of porn. And so there's a whole storyline on that show where one of the characters is like an actor in Boys in the Sand. Mm -hmm. And so they are talking about the film. There's a, a... scene where they like go to the premiere of the movie so i knew that that film existed i knew what a like landmark film it was and i knew what like a cool guy wakefield pool was so when i saw the movie i was like really really excited and i was a little bit disappointed when i watched it um just because like you're saying like there's not really dialogue there's not a ton of narrative i don't know i think that was the thing that kind of put me off in the beginning You know, like, I'm like, oh, it's a silent film. It's a lot of sex, like, just sex without story. Yeah. And it didn't grab me, you know, but I thought it would be cool to cover on the podcast. And again, it's been, like, years since I'd seen it. So I was like, I'd be down to watch it again, you know. I'd be down to look at it. Now, having done all the Super 8 stuff we've done, like, doing silent films, now I feel like I can appreciate that more. I feel like everything else I've done you know, prior to that is very dialogue heavy. That's what I'm attracted to. It's a lot of dialogue, you know? And so now being able to appreciate silent film and seeing that that can be such a cool medium that really adds something to a story, I wanted to revisit this one and see what I thought about it. And, like, I wanted to talk about Wakefield Pool because, like, I just fucking love this dude. And so then I kind of stumbled across Bijou after we watched that interview where he was, like, talking about it. And I was like, ooh, somebody in the interview was like called it the most erotic movie ever made. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like that is quite an endorsement. Um, I don't know if I would say that. Um, I actually didn't really find it erotic at all. It's very dark and trippy and weird, but it's also fucking phenomenal. And I loved it. And it might be one of my favorite movies we've watched. Really? I really liked B-Show. I liked it too. And the big thing is what I've said about Boys in the Sand, and you kind of warned me a little bit because you told me they shot it without dialogue. You know, it's it's pretty dry. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe like it'll just be so visually interesting. That's what will really draw me in. What really drew me in was I watched it on, I think it was X videos or something. You have the DVD copy. I think the Vinegar Mm -hmm. Syndrome release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have that, which unfortunately does not have Bijou, right? No. Yeah. But, you know, on my own, uh, not taking your copy from you, I watched it. And it has the commentary track from Wakefield Pool, and that's what I found really interesting. Yeah. Was just him talking through his process, because a lot of it was him learning how to make a film as he's making a film. And when you watch it, you really get the sense that this is a guy who just innately understands the techniques of filmmaking. He understands visually presenting a story. He also, in the commentary track, talks very honestly about his limitations as he was making the film. He references several times, he's like, I didn't know how to do this, I didn't know how to do this, I didn't know how to do any of this. 
but he learned as he went along and there is enough that he did that makes it uh, visually interesting and then when it comes down to the sex I always say that I'm not going to be the best critic of like sex scenes like I know what appeals to me what turns me on I can kind of guess what makes a good sex scene but when it comes to something to where I'm watching two people that I don't really feel an attraction to have sex uh, then it's just kind of like, all right, I want to see like how this is presented and kind of see like what he's trying to express. And what's really cool about it is with both this and Bijou, I really get the sense that he's not just trying to show... If you think about gay porn, like my stereotypical view of gay porn before watching these movies was just like, it's, it's going to have like a real predictable storyline. It's going to be, you know, hunky young dudes, you know, who may or may not actually be gay blowing and fucking each other. And, you know, you do have this in the movies, but what really comes across is that he was trying to capture a sense of of passion. There is an eroticism to it, and it's not just straight lewd, you know, masturbatory material. So for that, like, I, I really have a lot of respect. And then hearing his thoughts as he's talking about it, and then really before I even watched either movie, you showed me that interview. And that's where I was like, this guy seems super interesting. And the same way that you really love Harry Reams, I'm very interested to learn more about Wakefield Pool. And I want to check out the the documentary uh, that was made about him. Yes, I haven't seen it, but I saw that that's like a thing. And yeah. I would love to watch that. I'm so down. Because like every single time you or I stumble across like an interview or an excerpt from an interview with him... There's always like an interesting quote that he has to say. So he just seems like when he talks, like he's like a very laid back, like he doesn't have a lot of pretensions or anything like that. But you can tell that he's a really creative person. He sees the world differently than the way most other people do. And he's found a lot of very creative ways to kind of present that. Yeah, totally. So how should we tackle this? Like, are we going to kind of walk through the plot like the way that we normally do? I think we should. And I think that'll just move a little quicker because it's kind of not as much going on plot wise. But before we get into it, I want to really quick tell the backstory of Wakefield Pool making Boys in the Sand. I wish I was Wakefield Pool. Maybe one day I will be. Yeah. I hope so. The gumption that he had since like listening to the interviews, watching the films, I'm like, Okay, every time I kind of feel lethargic and lazy, I try to think, yeah, but what would Wakefield do? And I'm like, <laughs> totally. Yeah, he, he's like, yeah. I, I. <laughs> the funniest thing is like <laughs> him on the commentary track and even in interviews saying like, yeah, so we needed, you know, like a location to shoot or we needed like a specific prop to use for a scene. And I just went over and I saw some guys and I started talking to them and then I like lit up a joint and shared it with them and I was like, hey, do you mind if we like use this for like this thing that we're shooting? And he's like, people always said yes. Yeah, you're like a cool dude and you're smoking a joint with them. Like, why would they say no? Yeah, for real. So that that's awesome about him. What got him interested in making this? Okay, so basically what happened, we touched on this during uh, an Anthony Spinelli episode, because I guess this is a reoccurring theme for porn directors. So (laughs) this all started when Wakefield Poole and a couple of his buddies went to go see a porno in the movie theater. And they walked out of it and they were like, that was the stupidest shit that I've ever seen. Like, that was horrible. And specifically, the porn they went and saw was Highway Hustler. Oh, was it? Yes. Okay, maybe we need to do an episode about that. (laughs) (laughs) The worst movie. 
<laughs> that Fine. would be awesome. We'll do that. <laughs> It'll be like a follow-up to this one. Or a prequel. <laughs> we'll see. So he's like, that was the worst movie I ever saw. I could absolutely make a better movie than that. And they're like, but Wakefield, you're a photographer, you're a dancer, you're a choreographer, you've never made a movie before. And he's like, I'm about to. <laughs> so He's like, bitch, stand back. <laughs> so him and a couple of his buddies went to Fire Island, rented out a little vacation home for three months, shot one of the three sections of the film each month, and just did it. Not only is that so badass to be like, hey, I could make a better movie than that, and I'm fucking gonna. And then for it to become, like, this hugely influential thing. Yeah. That's amazing. And also, the idea of, like, just going to your favorite vacation spot with all your buddies and just making a movie for three months sounds like the best thing ever. Why are we not all just going to the desert and being like, we'll be back with the best movie ever in a couple months. So hang tight, everybody. And also, we're gonna plow as we're making the movie. Everything about that sounds great. Yeah. Five-year plan. (laughs) Yeah. So it's no wonder we both think he's a pretty awesome dude. Yeah. Love this dude. He had it figured out. But what's really cool about it, too, is that not only did he say, I don't have any experience, I just have this idea and this ambition to go out and make something that I wish existed. He made it, and it was so good that it didn't create the genre of, like, gay porn, but it made gay porn, like, it. there was an entry into the mainstreaming of porn. Because, you know, later he, he ends up making Bijou, and that's nominated as Adult Film of the Year alongside of Deep Throat for Screw Magazine. And, so yeah, well, the quote about that, too, is that uh, Al Lewis, which I don't know if we've talked about Al Lewis before from Screw Magazine. I don't think we have. Yeah, I, I feel like he's a person that... The more you get to know about him, you're not going to like. He seems like kind of a shady kind of dude. He's not like cool like uh, Larry Flint. But specifically, someone said that the reason why it was a double nomination for Adult Film of the Year was because he didn't want to give it to an F-word film. Oh, not sure. Yeah. Not sure. But like he also said, this is undeniably a great movie. But they go out to Fire Island... They make it, they do it in three sections, and uh, not only did Wakefield Pool become, you know, an icon for both porn and and for the gay community, but also it was not the film debut, but it was really where Casey Donovan became a star, was with Boys in the Sand. He originally wasn't in the movie because the first section they shot, when Wakefield was just kind of like testing everything out, Bayside, that's the first section, uh, they shot it with a different actor. And then when Wakefield was like, hey, I might actually have something here and starts talking about distribution, that actor wanted uh, a cut of the uh, the back end, like 20%. And so Wakefield was like, I'm not going to do that. And then he recast with uh, Casey Donovan and there's like some story of he calls a person who then calls, you know, Casey Donovan like out of the blue after like not speaking to them for like a year. It was some woman and she was like, hey, would you want to be in a movie? You know, and if you do it, like I get like 10%. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then he ends up being in every single section. Like he's the star of the film. I'm cisgender, male, heterosexual. But Casey Donovan... He's an awesome looking dude. He basically, to me, kind of seems like if you made a 70s Ken doll into a real person, (laughs) 
it would be it would end up looking yeah. a lot like Casey Donovan. That is very much his vibe. And in his interview, like he seems like really cool and like unpretentious and laid back and chill. So I gotta imagine like the process of making this film had to be a really great experience for all these guys. Yeah. It just sounds so fun watching it with the commentary. Yeah. He says there's this one part where he's like, you know, I could not have made this movie without all my friends. Everybody just wanted to contribute. Somebody was like, oh, hey, do you need a blanket to fuck on? Like, let me lay this down real quick. You need me to brush some sand off your balls. I got you, you know? And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I love there's clearly just like such a like community driven experience going on here. Filming at like a friend's house, you know? Oh, I you need an actor. I know a guy who knows a guy. Let's go talk to him. Let's go have a drink. Let's see what happens, you know? And just the whole vibe of it just sounds so connected and so wonderful. Like, yeah. I love that. I love everything about that. Yeah. He even talks about at one point in the first section, he's like, yeah, we're filming. And then we were pretty sure that there was somebody watching us from the bushes because we could keep hearing like twigs snapping and stuff. And, you know, the actors didn't seem to mind. So I was like, fuck it. Let them watch. <laughs> If it's turning them on, like, cool. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so chill. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. It, it starts off, like, everything about, I mean, both films, really, but Boys in the Sand, like, a lot of it feels not so much like a dream, but more kind of like reminiscing on this really great time in your life. But there is some stuff about it that is a little bit fantastical, and it does it so kind of straightforward and, not to overuse this word, but unpretentious. Because one of the cool things I liked, and you noticed the same thing. The logo. Yeah, oh the way that God. they did Yeah, the, the credits, the opening credits. Yes, okay, real quick though. Production logo, Pisces Films. I loved <laughs> that. Right off the bat, I was like, ooh, okay, I like this guy. Yeah. You know, and of course, Wakefield Pool is a Pisces. And then in the commentary, I don't know if you heard that, but he was talking about how Casey Donovan was a Scorpio and wore a Scorpio medallion the whole time. So I'm like, mm. these two water signs are just really vibing together, like... <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> but yes, the opening credits, it's like on the beach, the waves are washing up, and it's like they've just literally like carved in the sand like people's names. And he couldn't put his name because it was too long to write out Wayfield Pool in the sand. And he's like, it took two hours to film these opening credits because the water kept washing it away. Yeah. And God, you know what I kept thinking about? I kept thinking about Big Feet, our yeah. Super 8 movie, which is now out. After all this time, it's Good here. Vibe Cinema, look it up on YouTube. You gotta check it out. But yeah, remember we were carving out, you know, the the Bigfoot foot, and it's like, everybody's standing around like, okay, do you want me to pass you a rock? How's that working? Is it, you know, like... Yeah, does that, that little... That. I always appreciate whenever a film will do something kind of interesting with the credits, because credits used to be... Opening and closing credits used to be such a big thing for uh, both film and television up until about the mid-2000s, and then that just kind of went away. Like, Napoleon Dynamite's a great example of doing something creative yeah. with the credits, but I also always appreciated anytime they use stop motion or, like, the way that both you and Wakefield Pool used uh, environmental surfaces to create those opening credits. Like, I, I think that's just, like, a cool, neat little touch because it's one of those things where, you know, there's an artist, and I cannot remember his name right now off the top of my head. His whole thing was he would create these temporary environmental sculptures. 
And so just the idea of like creating something that you know going in, this is only going to exist for a little while, but you capture that perfect little moment and then it's preserved forever even though the wind comes along and blows it away. The waves wash it off. So that's really neat. And then it goes into uh, Casey Donovan just emerging from the ocean like some kind of like... <laughs> There's a way that Wakefield Pool like describes it and I cannot remember it, but it's sort of like... Like he's like a... He was an answer to... Uh, I think Peter Fisk is in the first scene. Yeah, and yeah. that was Wakefield Pool's dude. So yeah. that's exciting. He said this Adonis is going to teach Peter a little thing about sex and maybe a little thing about life. <laughs> like, okay, I love that. Love that for him. Um, but before that happens, like, just the way they set the mood, that's something that I think Wakefield Pool really, really nails, is narratively, I feel like I could use a little bit more. But vibe-wise, like, this dude knows what's up. Just as Peter is walking onto the beach, it's like he's walking through the woods. There's so many like cool shadows all over everything. They keep cutting between like, you know, seeing him from behind walking to looking up. They did this and they kept cutting back to this during the sex scene, which I thought was really trippy and cool. It's like looking up at the sun through the trees, but it's like the way they shoot it, like it's like almost like you can't tell if it's a point of view of the character looking up, but it also almost feels like God or like the universe or something like looking down. Yeah. And that's kind of weird, especially because the music in this is really trippy. And I totally felt that in Bijou. Like it's so surreal. Yeah. You know? And it almost feels sinister at certain parts. Definitely doesn't feel sexy. It's not like they've got like Marvin Gaye and a funky little beat going on or anything. Like It's, it's setting a mood, but it's not the sort of, it's not what you would expect. Yeah, totally. And so that was super funky. And they talked about in the commentary, like when um, Peter puts down his towel and sits down and looks out at the beach. It's like the second he does that, the second he's looking at the water, it's like he's waiting for something like maybe he's done this before and like yeah just that was really cool like how just his movements were so deliberate and like kind of set up a scene and a history by just sitting down yeah so that was super rad and especially you know when you know it's coming from a first-time filmmaker yeah so that happens you know and then casey donovan comes out and we we've talked about this before blowjob scenes just the way that they are filmed and performed in these movies compared to you know how they're done now and especially like in the 80s and 90s where things got kind of like really gross and super exploitative there's a difference you know it's not just like oh man i hope some hot dude comes out of the ocean and just you know shoves his cock down my throat it's more kind of like i i want like somebody that makes me feel something to like come and experience this beautiful moment with me and then like you see that happen and it's really cool like even if you're not turned on at all by the sex like the way that it's done it's really hard for someone to not have an appreciation for that yeah there is a lot of longing i feel like 
in the way that people move and the way that they touch and the way that things are shot. There's not as much lust and passion. And that's something that I noticed in both films is like kind of the way that people move, especially in Bijou, which honestly kind of like freaked me out a little bit. It felt <laughs> it felt a little that one is definitely creepier, you know? Yeah. And it's, 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 it's very intentionally so. Like we'll get into that. It's but, Lynchian at times. Like it's like super low budget like David Lynch. People move like almost animatronic in certain ways going through the motions you don't see someone getting like sweaty and fired up and just plowing you see someone like moving really smooth and purposeful and i almost wonder if that's with like his dance and choreography background like it almost feels like they're doing a dance like moving to tell a story as opposed to like having a visceral sexual experience well that's that's another thing about wakefield pool as well like you can tell that he has a type that he likes to present on film and it is these men with very lithe dancer bodies they're muscular without being bulky and they're thin and athletic without looking like you know they starve themselves And so that lends itself really well toward the movements that they make. I don't know if Casey Donovan or uh, who who was it in Bijou? Bill Harrison? Mm -hmm. I don't know if they actually had dance in their background, but I'm sure that some of the other actors definitely did. You know, Tommy Moore, who's in the third section of uh, Boys in the Sand, he was a bartender that used to hook up with Casey Donovan. But he could have also been a dancer. He nailed it. Yeah. There's this great shot. It's probably one of my favorite shots from all of Boys in the Sand. It's like we see Casey Donovan's face and then it cuts to his chest and kind of like upper pelvis above the junk. And it just holds on that. And then Peter's hand just creeps up into the frame and just starts like touching his stomach. Like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then it like cuts to like a zoomed out shot and he's like blowing him. But all you see is like the back of his head and the silhouette of the action. And then they cut to fucking Casey from behind his ass and balls. And then like between his (laughs) legs, you see the other guy's face. And it's just, it's a good shot. Like, yeah. uh, just a series of great images. Well, that's another <laughs> thing that's really interesting, too. If there are people that are listening that have watched a lot of, like, contemporary gay porn, and they're so used to getting those really close, tight insertion shots, all the stuff to where it starts to become almost like, you know, a, a medical science video. There's not that in this at all. And, like, part of that's the limitation of the equipment, but also I don't think that... It really crossed Wakefield Poole's mind of like, oh, I need to get a close-up of like, you know, the dick going in this guy's mouth or ass or something. It's more just kind of like, no, I want to show these two guys getting into being with each other. I don't want to be repetitive, but that was really neat watching that. And like what really hooked me on the movie was they have their scene and there's only so much of, of watching, you know, two men go at it to where it's just kind of like, all right, like, let's let's wrap this up. Let's 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 get things moving. But what's really interesting is so they finish, and uh, it's it's funny listening to Wakefield Pool talk about like, and so what we're doing here is called a money shot. Oh my god, that was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> he doesn't just say that; like he goes on to say that the reason why it became such a mainstream thing was people would go to see porn and they would ask for their money back if they felt like the actors weren't actually having sex. So directors responded to that. 
by having the guys pull out and then bust on their counterparts as a way to display, like, no, I actually did ejaculate. You want the receipts? Well, here they are. (laughs) Bitch, try and ask for your money back now. (laughs) I already came. So it's funny listening to him talk about that because he's just like he's just straight up about it. He's doing it in kind of this like sweet, gentle, like educational sort of way. But then after that, you know, like they kind of have like a little bit of, you know, tenderness between the two of them. It's not just straight up like, all right, I came like peace. I know, there's um, a lot of kissing for two yeah. strangers. Even the beach feels like a kiss. It's yeah. Very, very loving. But then Peter Fist takes off his bracelet puts it on Casey Donovan, and then Peter Fisk runs out into the ocean and disappears. And then Casey Donovan walks over, puts on Peter Fisk's clothes, and he's essentially taken his place. He's now an inhabitant of the island. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, you were saying so much without having any dialogue to go along with it. Yeah. And, that's a good twist. you know, the commentary from Wakefield, like, he's explaining all of that, but he's also not trying to invent some other story. He's just kind of, like, matter-of-factly, like, yeah, and then this happens, and then he goes into the water. So he's just telling you exactly what you're seeing, but he's just reiterating what he already put onto the onto the film. You know what else I thought was really cool about that, too? He talks about how, in his work, he doesn't like to have actors pigeonholed like he's like we don't really do tops bottoms like this is just a enjoyable experience and you just let it go where it goes and we're switching it up and doing our thing but i thought it was so cool that it felt like the sexual shift happening between the two characters you know very much lined up with that narrative shift of them like switching roles yeah even the way that they did it the way that they both blew each other felt different You know, once Peter starts getting blown, like it almost feels like Casey is giving him like it's this sort of like rite of passage or like it almost felt like like you've been chosen for something, you know, and then to have him go back into the water, like it almost literally felt like now you can like move on to like the next phase of your existence. Yeah, which that recontextualizes what we just saw a little while uh, before, which is when Peter Fisk comes out and seemingly is kind of like praying for this being to be sent to him it's not just simply for you know the purposes of like getting off but it's there's like something else going on so that's interesting and then the other thing that i think is interesting too is as you're watching the film it's in three sections again casey donovan is the star and you can get the sense that he's playing the same character throughout but there are subtle differences it's almost like between each scene He's not a different person, but he's in a different point in his life when you see him. And it's all done purely visually. Yeah. That was something that I wanted to hear your opinion on this. Okay, so like at the end of the first section, he's wearing Peter's clothes. You know, they've essentially switched places. But then when the second section begins, I feel like it's been like a major time skip. And like Casey is now has his own identity in his own life. Yeah. Because I feel like aesthetically there's differences. Like, Casey definitely feels more, like, bougie with his fancy dog and his... What are those pants? Like, not... not what, what, like... You know what I'm talking about? Like, beach... Like, rich person on the beach pants. Yeah, they're, like, white chinos. <laughs> yeah! yeah! Yeah, and the other guy's wearing, like, some dirty bell-bottoms. Like, total, like, hippie vibe, you know? 
different, definitely different aesthetic. And I'm like, no way did Peter live in that like fancy beach house and have a beautiful dog like that. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't getting that vibe. So that's narratively interesting right there. Well, and then we go into, uh, I forget the title of the second and third This sections. is Poolside. Okay, so Poolside. We go into that, and again, that's one of Wakefield's stories of, you know, we wanted to shoot at this house, so I just went over and smoked a joint with the homeowner and was like, can we shoot something here? And the guy was like, yeah, sure, knock yourselves out. So in this section, Casey Donovan's character, well, they do the, the interesting thing with the letters that are going across the water, right? Yeah, so basically what happens, the setup is we see Casey in the town, you know, no longer at the beach. He's in, like, the city or whatever of Fire Island, which this was so cute. Like, you could just tell how much Wakefield Pool like, just loves Fire Island and is so inspired oh, yeah. by it. He's like, I wanted this movie to feel like almost a travel log for Fire Island. And then, like, in the other section, he's like, you know, if you've never been here, like, I wanted you to really know, like, he keeps bringing up, like, I wanted this shot of the road just in case you've never walked through fire island <laughs> like yeah we get it like this fire island tourism board has just clips of, of boys in the sand that they use for their promotional video <laughs> they just slip in a shot of casey donovan getting blown <laughs> this could be you yes. at fire island come to fire island a, a beautiful adonis might emerge from the scene and just plow you <laughs> right on the sand <laughs> So he's sitting by the post office and he's reading this like gay newspaper and Wakefield Pool had to drop that like, hey, this newspaper, iconic. We had to showcase that. So that's like, I guess he's doing a fun little shout out, which was cute. He goes home and he's reading the paper and we don't see what he's reading. And this was so funny. He's like, yeah, you know, I didn't feel like porn has enough suspense in it so I wanted there to be a good twist and a good reveal so he reads something he writes a letter he mails the letter we don't know what it's in regards to yeah and there's all these like calendar pages like showing the passage of time and this like montage of him like shirtless jogging on a sunset beach with his dog which is actually a beautiful shot like the color and like just the golden like sun and everything just gorgeous he was saying the uh the calendar page thing he's like oh it was like an homage to like cheesy 40s movies which I thought that was just cute, too, that he's, like, into it like that. Anyway, he wrote into, like, a personal ad, and they sent him, like, one of those little tablets that you put in the water, and it, like, makes a dinosaur or something, you know? <laughs> Except it made, like, a hot dude. Um, <laughs> so then they just start, like, fucking in the pool and next to the pool. Well, and it's not just that, but I thought this is a really cool shot because he's very honestly and openly talking about his lack of experience and uh, the fact that he's limited in, in what he he is capable of doing what he knows how to do and so he was like yeah we did like this double exposure shot and i think he was definitely going for something lighthearted with the whole tablet in the water thing but the way he talks about it it sounds like he was surprised by how the audience responded He was like yeah every time we'd play this in the theater we'd get a huge laugh from this because <laughs> again the audience doesn't know what's going to happen Casey Donovan tosses the tablet in the water and then you see the water start to bubble and there's like a little bit of a visual effect going on and then all of a sudden this like hot dude just pops up out of the water (laughs) and it's like, oh, okay, that's what was going on. And then it goes right to, you know, more sex. Mm -hmm. And then this one wraps up 
with them being all cuddly and cute, which both, kind of all the sections sort of do that, you know? Like, they get this, like, hardcore banging between two strangers, you know? But then it ends with something a little bit, like, sweet, which, like, just makes me feel like, I don't know, he's a Pisces, so definitely there's, like, some emotional components to all of this. It's not just Um, the the whole thing of, like, look, I'm just gonna fuck you through a hole in the wall because I don't want to know anything about you other than how you feel on the inside, like... Yeah, as soon as they're done banging, they, like, get out of the pool, they dry each other off, they go inside, they get dressed, they come back out fully clothed, arm around each other, and walk into town. Like, now we're gonna get to know each other. So sweet. (laughs) And then, this was kind of funny. Hi, this is my new boyfriend. I got him uh, from a tablet that I threw into the pool. (laughs) And you heard that in the commentary. He's like, this just shows that Casey's entering a new phase in his life. He has a partner now. There's a new sense of fulfillment in his life. (laughs) (laughs) so cute so funny which Um, unfortunately it didn't last or at least it became an open relationship i think that's probably what it was because then you have the third section and there's a different vibe going on oh yeah okay and this is very funny because he straight up says yeah i've pretty much learned what i was doing by this section like this is the good part like Honestly, like, just as an audience member, like, I didn't feel like this felt a lot, quote-unquote, better than the other ones. It just felt like that it was inside versus outside, so the lighting was different. Yeah, the lighting was different. And then the other thing is that he was trying to create this effect of having a separation between what was fantasy and what was reality. That was Because really he, cool. did, he did talk about, like, he, he wanted it to be clear to the audience, like... When there was fantasy happening versus when there was reality happening. Because this section is a lot more about lust and desire. Because Casey is spying on Tommy Moore, who is this, you know, tall, slender, black actor. He's like a sexy repairman. This was the tool belt that was borrowed for the scene. Hey. Do you mind if we, uh, here, you want to hit this? Do you mind if we, uh, like, borrow your tool belt for a few days? Promise we'll we'll get it back to you. Try not to all over it. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little bit crusty, but, you know, it'll still work. This one starts out, Casey's chilling at home. He looks out the window. He sees this hot guy, like, fixing a power line. He peeks over, and he's like, damn, I need some of that. He's and like, so man, he... I bet his legs go all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> so he and goes... they do. He goes and gets naked and, like, stands in the window, like, flaunting. And the guy, like, looks at him and then just, like, leaves. And it's like, damn, like, having your lead character get openly rejected like that, like, that's a bold move. And so then he's like, well, I guess I'll just have to jerk off. And so the fantasy begins and he comes downstairs and he sees the guy, like, laying on the couch, like, naked with the belt. They start going at it. And this one is pretty cool. Like, they really play with the architecture of the house. Like, there's these weird, like, he talks about this, like, hallway that, like, leads to a door that like just opens into like nothing like you just walk right out and so there's like scenes where like people are standing in that doorway and like cool silhouette stuff and then there's like a lot of like stained glass in the house and so they pan to that for their like kind of cutaway transition shots and like move over the glass all quick like so it just feels all like 
trippy and almost like psychedelic with the colors and stuff. Yeah. That was pretty cool. The other thing too is I think in this section he was using the the music a little bit more to kind of help distinguish between the fantasy and reality as well. Oh, did you hear what he was saying about the music? Like how he like cut that together? So he talks about going to record stores and finding like European albums so that he wouldn't have to pay the rights to use them. Which that doesn't <laughs> seem... That doesn't seem Shady. like it would work to me. Like, is there not? I don't was know. like, what are they going to do? Take a boat over here and, like, <laughs> arrest me? There was no internet back then, so British people never even saw this yeah, movie. They didn't like, remember the last time it. you guys tried to invade in America? <laughs> like, how'd that go? So in this section, he's using kind of traditional sounding, like, Indian music. Mm-hmm. And he kind of made this song himself. Like, he cut together a bunch of different songs. Like, so it would build to the narrative. Yeah. And he's like, this was my first time ever working with sound. But then again, this was my first time ever working with film. And I'm like, this guy like just fucking goes for it. I love yeah. that. Like the freaking confidence. I mean, that's that's dude. the big thing. And, and again, like talking about using Wakefield Pool as a source of inspiration, the fact that he didn't have any fear of failure. Yeah. Because he's like, I saw what somebody else had done. And obviously they weren't afraid of failure because to me it was a failure. You know, and I'm like, I can't do worse than them. So I'll just try things, and surely something's got to be better than somebody else's worst. Yeah. And then it fucking worked. So bravo, dude. Yeah. The other thing that he talks about, too, is, you know, again, sign of the times, but the fact that this is an interracial scene, which is a fucking term I hate when it comes to porn. He specifically says in the commentary, you know, we have this this actor, and already he had a relationship with, with Casey Donovan, and I thought he was great for the film. But, you know, I knew that for some people it was going to be controversial to see a black and white actor having sex on camera because that wasn't something that happened a lot at the time. But, you know, I wanted to go for it and wasn't really worried about, like, what would happen. And it's cool because it just shows that, you know, it's not... Like, your desire isn't guided by what your identity is. It's it's guided by, like, what you're actually attracted to. And the fact that you kind of have Casey Donovan and he's not, like, just having sex with other guys that look like carbon copies of himself. Um, oh, that was something that I loved, too, in the commentary. He said, he's like, you know, I think part of why this movie was so successful was that each of the three sections, Casey is with a very different looking guy. Whatever your type is, maybe you'll see it in this film. And then he's like, or if you're trash like me, you'd fuck all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the thing. He says... Early on in the first section, he talks about how, you know, when he's shooting this, he was like, yeah, I I made it a point so that the camera did not, like, cross a boundary. Like, basically, he was saying that we weren't kind of just filming ourselves having sex with the actors. We were all about making the movie. The sex was between the performers and not between the performers and the crew and myself and everything. That was really cool, too, how he talks about directing sex scenes. He says, I wanted to be as unobtrusive as possible. So there was, mm-hmm. he says there's no lighting crew, there's no crew at all. That's why he loved this house with good windows. So <laughs> it just looked better. But it was literally just the two performers and him. And he would just hold the camera and walk around them like... And he was like, you know, I didn't want to throw off their groove at all. 
And I felt like, you know, a lot of other directors will tell the actor, like, hey, move your hand, it's in the way, or or I want to get this shot, so I need you to position like this, or whatever, you know? And he was like, it was so much easier for me to just be quiet and just move my own body, move the camera, and, like, set up whatever shot I wanted going off of what they're doing. Yeah. And he said he didn't plan shots you know he let them just do it how they were doing it and then kind of just improvise the camera stuff and he didn't want to direct them he didn't want to tell them to do anything he just was like feel what you're feeling and he said that he liked to shoot the sex scenes first before shooting any of the like exposition or establishing shots because he wanted those actors to just have their like gut reaction with each other before they got to know each other or formed any sort of opinions about each other like it was just like you walk into this room you have sex like let's just like what happens they're figuring each other out like as they're doing it the same way that he's figuring out like making this movie as he's doing it yeah so i just think the whole like organic like very just fluid DIY kind of vibe of the whole thing is just like really fucking cool. Yeah, it comes across even without listening to the commentary like that that comes across through the film but when you hear him in his own words explain it you're just like okay, yeah, I definitely see that. The other thing was damn. <laughs> I'm blanking. Were you going to bring up the dildo? Well, there was the dildo, but yeah, I don't really have much to say about that. I have a little something to say about that. Go for it. So that's like the twist of this sequence is it wasn't really the guy, you know, he was doing his own thing. But they like reveal this, like we're seeing the two guys having sex. We kind of know that it's a fantasy because we saw the other guy walk away. But now it's like literally making it clear that it's a fantasy. We see Casey Donovan with the dildo and then it cuts back to them banging again. And that, like, kind of bugged me a little bit, because I'm like, this feels like a reveal. It feels like a twist, you know? Mm-hmm. And then to, like, go back to them, like, the two people having sex, it felt like it kind of cheapened that reveal a little bit. And they ultimately did finish with it, but I feel like they should have just saved it for the very end. I feel like that would have been a better, like, a better build, you know? Yeah. So that bugged me, I guess, a little bit. But... Then uh, then after that happens, after they wrap up, then he, like, walks back into the house and he looks around and he's like, oh, it wasn't real, you know? But then the guy does show up in the doorway and Casey, like, gives this little smirk and it's like, oh, we know where this is going. <laughs> like, <laughs> the end. Yeah. Thumbs up on that. You know, the big thing about it is definitely if you're going to watch this, watch it with the, the commentary track the first time. Because had I watched this without the commentary track, I would have had a hard time getting through it. Um, I honestly feel like this movie is boring. And I really tried to think to myself, okay, we know that we're not the target demographic of this film. Yeah. If these were two actors that I was very much attracted to, having the type of sex that I like to have, would I want to watch this movie? Like, would I be engaged in it more? And I honestly don't think that I would. I think that it's a pacing issue for me. I think that the sex scenes don't feel like they're building to anything, you know? You can have narrative and character relationships without having dialogue, but I don't feel like there's a ton of that. Like, there's a little bit. There's enough to, like, move it from point A to point B, but, like, there's no really, like, emotional subtext. It doesn't even really feel like the actors are playing characters. It just feels like they're just them having sex like in different scenarios yeah you're talking about specifically when they're doing the sex scenes yeah yeah Yeah. because i feel like 
it feels to me like how I will fall asleep watching like an Avengers movie when there's like a 40 minute fight scene. I start losing, <laughs> like, I literally can't pay attention to it because it's just, it's so overstimulating, but also, like, nothing's happening, you know? And yeah. it's just a lot of the same thing. You know where it's going, and it's just a matter of just, like, okay, how long are we going to go through all of yeah. this before we get to that and, point? And, like, I like to see sex where there's something underneath it. What is the dynamic between these two people? Who has the power in the scene, as yeah. I love to say? And this, it just feels like, hey... We're two attractive people. We're going to have sex with each other. You love to see that, yeah. right? Which and is like, why... It's boring to me. Which is why having the commentary on is so huge because what you're actually getting is you're getting the story behind the story. You're, you're getting a lot of the blanks filled in. You're getting a lot more context uh, than what you're just seeing. And like you said, pacing is a big part of it. That's something to where it seems like he, he really... St- Started to figure it out a little bit more with Bijou, but I think he's just somebody that he's so in love with like the visuals of what he's doing that he really lingers on it. Yeah. And if you're not connecting with the visuals and the way that he wants you to and the way that he is himself, you're going to get bored by it. Oh, I remember the point I was going to say earlier when we were talking about Wakefield saying like, oh, I would have banged all these guys. <laughs> but one of the things he says on the commentary track was that Casey had no issues with like getting it up with anybody he was in a scene with. And I asked him about it because Casey Donovan went on and was a gigolo sometime after this. And unfortunately, you know, died during the uh, AIDS epidemic of the 80s. You know, kind of tragic But uh, one of the things that he said was, I can get it up with anybody I'm with because I can find beauty in any person that I'm with. And I kind of feel like that's sort of the theme of this movie in a way, even though it's not exactly expressed, but I feel that was what was in their hearts when they were making it. Did you feel that at all? Yeah, it definitely feels very, the whole thing feels very loving. It just feels nice and, like, good-spirited, you know? It's just like, hey, me and my friends are gonna make a movie that we think you guys are all gonna like, and we're gonna have a great time doing all these scenes. Everybody that's here is excited to be here, and just, you can just feel, like, that there's just such a, like, positive energy in the whole thing. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's why it, it works. You know, I think you can feel that when you watch something that's like made with love like that, you know. Yeah. And it's distinctly different than the vibe that you get watching Bijou. Oh my God, I like, can't wait to watch, talk about Bijou. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> let's get into it. Because okay. the thing is, with Bijou, the two films, if you watch them back to back, or even if you don't watch them back to back, you can tell that they were made by the same filmmaker, but they have distinctly different vibes. And this is absolutely insane because literally what happened is Boys in the Sand comes out. He totally crushed it. Everybody loves it. He makes bank. Oh my God. And I got to say really quick, like the premiere of Boys in the Sand, Wakefield Pool just went out and was a baller and like rented out movie theaters and then like got personal ads and put his movie poster in it being like, oh yeah, all the press is talking about us. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. He's a showman. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like made this movie seem like it was like the shit and then people fell for it and then it actually was the shit. So like it was great. He goes one year later. Takes the money for Boys in the Sand, makes Bijou. And it's like a year later. Oh my God. I mean, just personal preferences aside, like I I really, really liked Bijou. Kind of so-so on Boys in the Sand. But just, it feels so much more like 
legit. Boys in the Sand has a very amateur feel to it. And th- that's part of the charm, you know? Yeah, I was um, going to say that I'm, exact same thing. In no way thing. am I saying that that's a negative thing, but it's like Bijou looks like a movie theater movie. Yeah. You know, it looks like a cinematographer made this movie, you know, not a guy who's like, I'm going to get a camera and just see what happens, you know? Like, so it's it's crazy to me that like a year later, there's that big of a change, you know? So Bijou is a fucking trip. Basically, the premise of this movie is this straight, quote unquote, construction worker Uh, witnesses a woman get hit by a car, he steals her purse, he finds an invitation to a party at a club called Bijou, he goes there and is transported into this weird Alice in Wonderland psychedelic orgy, and it changes his life. Yeah, it's Alice in Wonderland, but like I said, made by Eraserhead David Lynch. I also gotta say, there were some Green Door vibes, it's like, I feel like this movie is everything that Green Door wanted to be and did not achieve. Okay, and we can talk about that because here's the difference for anybody that's seen Green Door but hasn't seen this. The difference is our main character, they are in control. They are fully consenting to everything that they're doing. They have the agency in the scene. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this acceptable and interesting and stimulating. And Green Door is none of those things. It's gross and uncomfortable and problematic. I also feel like Green Door very much wants to highlight, because both films have an energy about them that is kind of circusy, kind of weird, kind of uncomfortable, you know? But Green Door feels like they are really playing up the grotesqueness and the depravity of the situation like literally when it cuts to like people in the audience it's like they pick like the ugliest people they could find you know like on purpose like i'm not just saying like oh i wasn't attracted to these performers like they literally go out of their way to find unattractive people to make it like oh isn't this so gross whereas bijou it definitely feels uncomfortable in certain parts. I did not find it sexy at all. Like, I found it kind of, like, strange and creepy, but, like, incredibly cool. Um, But they're not... Like, ultimately, it is framed as, like, a beautiful but strange experience. You know? You know, whereas with Boys in the Sand, that was more about desire and then passion. This is more about lust and... I don't know, like... I have, I have so many hot takes. Yeah. <laughs> oh go ahead and put your hot takes out there. Because I'm still oh my, collecting my oh thoughts Oh my god, on should we, like, just go through... Should we just go through it? You already started setting it up. I guess, like, in your face would be kind of a good way to say it. It's not a very subtle film at all. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of dialogue, because I think the ticket taker, the door woman for Bijou, I think... They did dub in some uh, oh, yeah, dialogue yeah. for her. And there's That's, like a radio yeah. voice on the radio at one point. But very much, ultimately, mostly a silent film. But oh my god, okay. So the way that this movie starts is absolutely wild. And absolutely <laughs> hysterical to me. 
<laughs> so the intro music is so dramatic. Like, I feel like I'm watching a spy movie or like, it's just like over the top action movie soundtrack. And it's basically cutting back and forth between, you know, it starts with like some construction guys working like in this pit doing stuff, you know, and that with the intense music, it's like, oh my God, is there like a natural disaster? Like what's going on here? Yeah, you know? it, it gives you kind of like this impending sense of doom. Yeah. And we see this guy driving, this woman walking, and then later our main character, this kind of a strange looking woman. I don't know if visually he was trying to put something across there. Oh my god, there's so much going on visually. Okay, like I don't know if like we're supposed to take that this woman is strung out or high or or has something like that going on. Okay, and that's I just part thought of the she was she gets cool. Hits. Okay, you want to hear what my notes were? <laughs> This chick, this is a quote from my notes. This chick is great. Skinny legs and a big fur coat, love it. And her super chill, loose, vibey walk is amazing. I want to be cool and relaxed just like that. Because I I sound like, I saw it and I was like, what's this chick's deal? Is she high? Is she drunk? Or is she just living life? I thought she just had like a big smile and a cool haircut and just a flaunty little walk. And I was like, this chick knows what's up. I loved it. No, she's just like, I'm high as fuck. I'm going to live forever. (laughs) Then then contrast that with a fucking James Bond villain meets, like, I was getting total, like, this guy, like, driving a car. He keeps looking in his reflection and in the rearview mirror all suspicious. He's also high as fuck. He looks looks like, it reminded me of uh, Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis is like runs into Marcellus Wallace yeah. like in the in the crosswalk you know and he's just like <laughs> like you know totally reminded me of that <laughs> they're both high as fuck and she looks at him and he looks at her and he's like she knows and then so runs have, her over we have a six minute sequence of just walking walking Driving, scary music. Walking, walking, driving, scary music. Music's getting faster. He's driving a little bit faster. And so I wanted to show... And then this girl gets hit by a car. But this is the funniest fucking part. Because he turns down the radio, which, like, shows that he was playing that song. Yeah, the music was diegetic. Which is so bizarre. Like, why would you play that song? (laughs) And then he, like, stops at a stoplight... And it's just, like, three inches over the line. And, like, the girl just throws herself on the ground. Like, she does, you don't even see them touch. Like it's, like a, like, it's like a Russian dash cam video. <laughs> <laughs> She's just running an insurance scam. That's why he's so paranoid. He's like, they keep warning me. Watch out for the Russian insurance scammers. <laughs> and this is a six-minute sequence. Yeah. It's so long. And it was so funny because I wanted to show my dude the just the car crash part because I thought that was funny. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hold on. You got to see this. And I clicked the point in the video that's one minute before that. I misjudged when it happened, you know? Oh, and no. we're sitting there watching this for one minute. And he's just looking at me like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, okay, that was one minute. Did he minute. start going like, what's her deal? Is she high or is she no, crazy? No, he was just like, why is this taking so long? And I'm like, uh, it's actually a six minute sequence and you have no idea. <laughs> context. You have to have context. She's been walking. <laughs> so then. 
she's walking and just thinking, no car will ever run me over in the crosswalk. And the guy driving is like, I better make sure that nobody gets in front of my car in the crosswalk. So this car, like, gently taps her. And she falls to the ground and her purse goes flying across the street. She fucking chunks her purse like she's Joe fucking Namath. (laughs) (laughs) And then the construction worker, uh, like... It's so funny because, like, it lands. He sees this happen and he's like, oh, man, that's crazy. Oh, free purse. (laughs) And then just scoops it up and fucking bolts. Oh, my God. A bit of visual storytelling. Like, you get a sense of, okay, this is what this dude's all about. He's a little sketch. Yeah. And so then... But then we get a real reveal a few seconds later. Are you talking about the dong or the taxi driver apartment? Because we got to talk about that for a second. <laughs> well, oh there's my taxi driver apartment, but yeah. He's like, hey, this is what you're really here for, and fucking whips it out. Dude, I got to say, this is the first time I feel like... And that takes six minutes. This is the first time I feel like I've ever been shook by a dong. <laughs> like, I'm watching the movie, and I'm just like, whoa. Like, that's a real dick. Oh my god. Everybody, look it up right now. <laughs> it's, it's not Mark Wahlberg at the end of... It almost <laughs> is... Except it's, it's not a prosthetic. Dude, he has to jerk off with two hands. It's <laughs> wild. But anyway, backtracking a little bit. This is even better, guys. The set dressing was even better than the big dick, okay? This is the fucking apartment from Taxi Driver, which I love, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh my god, his place is great. And there are so many shots. I was literally screenshotting it while I was watching it. I was so, I gotta just say, I was so inspired watching this movie because yeah. i mentioned it very briefly last season i have a short film a silent film in the works frankie and it is long story short this chick's losing her mind but we do it in the style of an old-timey monster movie and she's like directing her own life and it's just very like trippy but there's a lot of shots in that that are just very voyeuristic you know yeah and so me and um the chick that I'm working on this with, we've been like storyboarding it and talking about all this stuff. And like, while I was watching Bijou, there were so many points where I was like, this is like the shot we were talking about. And I was just screenshotting it and sending her pictures. And I'm like, dude, you got to watch this movie. I'm recommending this movie to like all sorts of people. I recommended this movie to the absolute (laughs) straightest man I know, because I was like, it's just that good. I'm like, you're a cinematographer, watch it. But yes, his apartment is great. And there's so many shots from the hallway, looking in through the doorway, watching him do stuff in his room. And I'm just like, oh my God, I fucking love it. So he starts looking through her purse Listening to Led Zeppelin, which is insane to me, that a year later he goes from finding European music to not get sued, to having, like, two very known songs by, like, a huge artist. Like, that's wild to me. Yeah. Um, and he's looking at all her shit, and he starts, like, licking her lipstick, doing, like, a weird Buffalo Bill thing, and then he starts jerking off. But it's, like, at this point, this is before the dong is revealed, he's just kind of feeling over his pants and stuff, but it's just so weird, because it's, like, nothing sexy is happening. He's just, like, looking at her stuff, looking in her purse, and it very much feels like this is a really lonely guy, And seeing the contents of this woman's purse, like, seeing that this is, like, a person who has, like, a life that exists, like, outside of my universe, it's like, I want to, like, connect with her and get to know her. By looking at her stuff, it feels like there's some kind of bonding, like, almost like he is 
I don't know, like, in a very twisted way, like, honoring her memory. Like, it's, it is bizarre, but it's, like, really interesting. See, what I got from that was that he's bored. He goes to work. He comes home. He's got no partner. He's got no love life, no social life. Seeing this accident happen, like, it is the most interesting thing to happen to him for a while. But because he doesn't have... Those social skills that you build up from interactions with people, his only thought is, oh, I better take this person, get out of here before anybody notices that I have it. And then goes back and like once he's alone, he's like, oh, let me see what's in here. There's curiosity more so than like, you know, a desire to form a connection. And the thing is, we could both be right. Because the other thing I noticed too was when he starts jacking off, he seems detached in a way that he's doing it more so out of boredom this is like a routine that he does rather than like he's aroused by anything there okay i totally got that sense too and this is where i want to reveal my hot take okay okay so he's jerking off two-handed fucking giant dong and Um, the thing is is so like you said he's kind of rubbing on his pants and everything before he actually like whips it out and then it's a whole six minutes of him just like (laughs) unraveling this gigantic fucking dick he has god i literally like how how do you just have that in your pants and like sit down and not like smash it, not like get crushed wearing like tight jeans. Like, it's how does crazy this how these like skinny white dudes with fucking respectable mustaches will have these gigantic dicks. Man, you've got these skinny legs. Like, how do you hold it up? <laughs> and maybe it's just a biological thing of just like, oh, look, these two skinny legs. Like, it needs a little bit more support. Like, here's a third one. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> But yeah, so he's got a big dick. So as he's jerking off, it's like it keeps cutting between his, like like you said, very bored, very detached, no passion at all face. And then like images of like what he's picturing, you know, and they are still photographs from like magazines, like Playboys or something like that, you know, like naked women. Mm-hmm. And I, the first time I watched it, I was just like, oh, cool. I love like a good Playboy. Like these are like neat pictures like cool imagery whatever you know that was my first time watching it this morning when i watched it again for the second time i having seen you know later parts of the movie i started thinking i'm like wait a second here you know because the dude is gay goes to an all-male orgy or bi or whatever but like he's not straight and he's boredly jerking off thinking about women but it's like he's not thinking about a woman that he knows he's not thinking about a sexual experience with a woman that he's had. It's not like a video clip, like flashback of like him with a partner or something, you know? It's like these are literally images that were designed to be masturbated to. And I feel like this is not something that actually does anything for him. It's more like this is something that I have been conditioned to, like this is the thing that is sexy. This is the thing that you would jerk off to, you know? And so he's jerking off thinking about it and like just not connecting with and then that gets shaken up a little bit he starts picturing the girl getting hit by the car and then he kind of stops one like obviously that's like a very dark jarring traumatic thing that he just witnessed so like not super hot but also like i think that coupled with looking at her stuff like there's this sense of these images are consumable jerk off material I'm not even thinking of this as, like, a person. Like, I'm thinking of this as... An object. Yeah. 
And then now it's like that was a very real person. And she has this whole life inside of that bag that I just saw. And now that whole thing is like throwing me off. And so then he ultimately decides to go. She has this invitation in her purse for this club bijou, this party. He goes to it. And we get another taxi driver shot of him walking up the stairs. It's totally like when he goes to see Iris. And, like, there's the guy. And he's like, oh, where's the money? You know, there's some old lady there that's like, oh, where's your ticket? It's like the same fucking scene. And I'm like, so much of this imagery. I love it. You know, I love shit like that. And so then he goes into this club. And this was where I first started thinking Green Door because this old lady is literally like a fucking hag. Like, I'm not just being a bitch, like, saying this lady's ugly, (laughs) but I'm like, this is some, like, Hansel and Gretel-looking shit right here, you know? And she's, like, eating candy and, like, looks all nasty and, like, looks at his ticket. All right, go on in, you know? What is this imagery of, like, oh, a sex party? Only the grossest people would go to this. Like, what is that? I hate that. Well, I think what I got from that woman, because I thought that was an interesting choice to make, it's this thing of, like, you're getting into this void. Like, what Bijou actually is, is this void that actually reveals to you, like, your deepest desires. And it's something that it can't do it for just, you know, an infinite number of people. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of discourage people from going up, they don't have an attractive person out front. They have somebody that people are going to, no shade at this woman, but like find repulsive. And that's going to discourage a lot of people from going up. And so only people that have the invitation and that in their heart are just like, you're not going to throw me off the scent. Like, I know what I'm here for. Uh, here's my ticket, let me through. So that's kind of the sense that I got. And then also, like, she kind of represents that separation between this this beautiful, visually stimulating fantasy world and the harsh ugliness of the real world that, that yeah. he is he's become numb to. Yeah, I definitely felt that at the end when he's leaving the club. Like, yeah. it's so jarring. That's like, where it really reinforces that, that. Yeah. And so he walks in, and this club is fucking amazing. And it's crazy, they shot this in the dude's apartment. And when I was reading about Bijou before I saw it, and it was like, oh, and the club sequences were shot in the apartment, I'm like, I'm picturing, like, a club, you know, like a bar, or like, you know, and so I'm like, oh, okay, so they, like, put up some furniture, they maybe, like, some sort of backdrop, you know, like, that's what I had imagined, you know? But what this movie actually is, Bijou, it doesn't look like any sort of club. It looks, like you said, like a void. Like, it's literally just black. And it's, like, this small, lit figure of him walking through this, like, nothingness framed by these, like, weird forced perspective, like, objects. There's, I think they're, like, sea urchins. But yeah, they've been, like, lit urchins. all cool. There's, like, mannequin hands. I love the mannequin hands. There's this, hands. like, crazy sculpture that frames the, the bottom of the screen. And it is a man's mouth with a penis coming out of it. Not going into it the way that a blowjob would. Like, like a snake, The base like, of the penis is coming out of the guy's yeah. face. Yeah, it's almost like there are penises that were growing out from inside of his body. And what's really interesting here, so going back to before when we're talking about the the ticket taker, but there is this cut that happens where once he walks into the club, the music changes and it really changes the whole vibe of what you're experiencing. Because there's also sound of like a city street playing and then once he crosses into the club, that drops out. The music comes in and replaces that 
And then they play around with the sense of space because what they did is they covered all of the walls of the apartment with black felt. And then they built a raised platform in the center of the room and covered that with black velvet. And so you can't fully get a sense of what the dimensions are of this space. And then the other thing that they do is they play around with scale because I guess like what the technique they used was like compositing an image. But so they have... The, the main character walking to and from uh, the camera. And so his size of perspective starts to change based on his distance from the camera. But then they'll have these objects that they've blown them up to huge proportions. And they actually have him playing with them to where he's walking through and almost like reaching his hand up so he can like duck under the fingers of this giant mannequin hand that's looming above him and you can tell watching it that like yeah these are two images that are stitched together but it's the sense of the scale and before i watched the film you know i had a little bit of trouble finding it online and what i found was a trailer and you know it's in the same vein as the way they used to do trailers back in the 70s where they would just simply play a scene from the movie. And so the trailer is this entire sequence played out. And I was just like, okay, this film looks fucking interesting. So rad, right? I hard recommend this movie to everybody. The first 45 minutes of this movie, like my eyes were glued to the screen. Like I was so into it. And I think why to me this worked so much better than Boys in the Sand was because Wakefield Poole is a photographer and a dancer and a choreographer. And those are his things. And he really showcases all his skills in this movie. Maybe narrative is not totally his thing. You know, he doesn't write dialogue. He's not into that. Maybe he doesn't know that much about acting. Doesn't matter. You know, in this movie, it's like, I know how to compose a visually compelling image. And with all this forced perspective and, you know, composited shots and all this, it's like he maybe doesn't have a ton of film background, but like he knows how to do photography tricks. So let's play that up. I know how to do lighting. I know how to like compose, you know, an image and like play with all those things. He rocks it. I know how to use color to emphasize an image that I want someone to be drawn into. Totally. And then in terms of the the dance side of it, I know how to establish an ambiance and an emotion based on the way people are moving their bodies to music. Yes. The music is very compelling and the way that these characters move feels a lot more like a dance than like a traditional sex scene. Even just like the main actor like on his own, like after he walks into Bijou, before he starts experiencing all this trippy stuff, like he walks through this little room and there's like a a, a glittery neon sign that's like, take your shoes off. And he takes his shoes off. And then he walks in the next room and there's just mirrors everywhere. And like he just kind of stands in there like naked, which is like beautiful, but like not at all sexual. He's just there existing and moving. And you see like the way that his body is moving in each of the mirrors together And it's amazing. Then he goes into the next room and there's another sign and it's like, take your clothes off, which uh, that was super Alice in Wonderland to me. Like the drink me kind of, it was very much that. Um, (laughs) For sure. But yeah, so I really just think that everything in this movie is so great because it's like, he is an expert of these things and has made a whole movie just showcasing the things that he is an expert in. Yeah. He sets this up. What makes it so cool is that, you know, there's certain directors that they'll do things 
and they'll have the actors doing um, certain movements. They'll they'll set the the scene a certain way. They'll have the lighting set up a certain way. But where you can really tell a very good director is when you start to break down the composition of the shot, and you start to notice like they set everything up within the frame in a specific way. It's not so much that he does that, but what you were talking about with the way that the actors move. That is a tool in his arsenal because he doesn't have dialogue that tells you what's going on. Even with the music, the music's very limited into what that's able to communicate to you. It's all about eliciting an emotion from the viewer, getting them to have a sense of like, you know, this character's walking into something that is unknown and could be foreboding and and could be very frightening, but their curiosity is compelling them forward. And then to really reinforce that, it's the movement of the character. And then even when it comes to the sex scene, the sex scene is, it's directed in a way to where like it's choreographed like, like a ballet, but not like a ballet like, swan lake or like the nutcracker it's it's something that's more kind of um offbeat and artistic in in a way that's not traditional yeah and so you're like there's something going on here and i might not always get exactly what's happening but the more i look at this and the more times i see it the more things start to click within my brain. And that's where it becomes super interesting because like, I love it when a filmmaker can take images that exist within their brain and then get those same images to exist within your brain. And they're not worried so much about like, I need you to think about this and have the same interpretation of this that I do. It's just more important that I share this idea with you in whatever means that I can. And then for you to take that idea and run it through the lens of your own personal experiences. To have that happening when we're sitting here talking about a gay porn from 1972. That's the shit about what we do that's so fascinating. Oh my god, yeah. And then there's another kind of weird element. Because I think that I I don't 100% know exactly what this film is trying to say. But it definitely feels like it's saying something. Oh yeah. And so the next part is there's... 33 minutes into the movie, we get our first sex scene, and he bangs this guy, and the guy's laying face down, no interaction whatsoever between the two of them, and after he finishes, they kind of roll apart from each other, and the way that they're positioned, it looks like a mirror image. Yeah. This is not another person, like, this is an extension of me and my desire, you know? And then... He rolls onto his stomach and is just, like, chilling. And then this, like, projector light comes behind him, which that's such a great shot right there of him laying there with, like, the light behind him. It's fucking beautiful. Um, And he starts watching this just, like, bizarre movie. And this guy comes out with a tripod, very meta. And you start seeing... Oh, my God. The music was killing me here. It was totally... (laughs) It totally reminded me of on SpongeBob when he's like, Future! Like... And then you start seeing these just different images, like the Statue of David and like all these, you know, naked man, naked woman, chick in a bikini, guy in shorts, you know, and it's like varying levels of explicit and then like some just like weird shit. Like there's like this chick like eating pussy and then it's like next to like a, a image of like a cheetah like licking a piece of like dead meat and... It's very brainwashy, like weird, you know, like we're going to internalize these messages, you know. 
And then as that's going on, like, it starts getting, like, more sinister. Like, the music starts getting even creepier. And then now, instead of, like, still images, it's, like, little video clips of more, like, people, you know? Like, not actors, not models, but, like, just regular-looking people. Yeah. And, like, they're jerking off and doing different stuff, but, like, looking at the camera. And it's just very unnerving and feels very confrontational. Um... But it's so, like, it's very much, like, comes across, like, you know, the idea that, like, media is influencing our desire. Like, we train our brains yeah. to find certain things attractive. And see, having seen that now, like, watching this movie for the second time when he's jerking off thinking about these, like, Playboy images, it's like, it, it felt like it was saying that. Like, I learned that these were the images that were sexy, you know? And now it's like he's in this void where, like those ideas like don't really exist anymore it's like even the people that are in there it's like there's no interaction between anyone you know it almost feels like it is like a sex world type of thing where it's like every other body in this space is like a robot like serving your fantasy because it very much is structured from the perspective of like this main guy like it's not like an orgy where everybody's here to have a good time. I mean, I guess that is technically what's happening, but it doesn't feel like that where everybody walks in like, all right, let's do this. You know, like it feels like it's like he's there on this weird like vision quest. And then there's all these like naked men that are like ready to fuck, but like they don't make eye contact or talk to each other. It's just weird, you know? Well, and I think kind of the, the meaning that I took from it was in seeing like how he seems so bored and detached when he's masturbating early on, that he's somebody that has just society's conditioned him to, you know, buy into the uh, hetero male um, ideals of like, this is what sex is, this is what desire is, um, this is what should turn you on. And obviously that's not working for him. And the space that is Bijou, like, the journey that he's going on is that, like, whatever supernatural power that is running the joint is tapping into his psyche and, you know, basically, like, guiding him through to a point to where he can just be honest with himself about what he truly desires and what truly turns him on Mm -hmm. and gets him off. And it's interesting because... The first guy that he has sex with, like, that guy has a very androgynous look. Like, Mm -hmm. he's got long hair, he's got very feminine features, and the way that he's just kind of laying down on his stomach, like, when when, uh, Bill Harrison starts fucking him, like, you have to look closely and you're like, oh yeah, that is it, he's having sex with the guy, but... The way that it's kind of played out, it's it's sort of like, hey, look, you want to fuck this person? Like, go for it. And then after he gets done, like, yeah, that mirror image thing, that's really interesting because there it's like, okay, what, what exactly are you trying to communicate here? And then when the other guys come out and then they just start having that, that whole uh, sex scene there, um, you know, then it starts to become a sense of like, okay... He's he's coming to grips with like his own sexuality, mm-hmm. who he really is, what he really wants, and um, you know he's because he like just kind of eased himself into it. He's not freaked out by it. Like he's 
he's getting comfortable and relaxed and you know of course all of this is being done to stimulate the audience and and get people turned on but at the same time like the fact that wakefield pool is like really being thoughtful and really trying to express something and doing it all without any dialogue whatsoever there's like no hand holding for the audience but mm-hmm. you know while it's not explicit it at the same time like it's it's communicating those ideas across and allowing people to draw their own conclusions interpretations from it so i also found like a little bit of like weird like religious imagery too like in the music there's a part where it's like there's like church bells yeah kind of have been incorporated into it um and there's a guy that comes out and i i noticed it because like they were really highlighting this particular person as opposed to everyone else. It's just like one of many bodies, you know, they really showed this guy and they showed his face and they, they get this kind of like low angle, like power shot, you know, and he's got like curly hair and he's got like light behind him that like very much felt like a halo, like Jesus-y vibe. And he's standing there with like a whip. And that was kind of weird too. Cause I feel like they didn't even really like play with that, that, much you know but like no but like if we're for as brief as that whole uh little piece is like it really stuck with me because i was trying to understand exactly like what was being communicated and he has the whip and like at first i thought like oh he's gonna come in and like you know they're gonna get into some bdsm stuff Mm -hmm. but that's not what happens and like his interaction isn't with the main character his interaction is with another one of the guys that's part of the orgy and it's almost like there's like a standoff going on between these two characters and so that made me wonder like okay is this kind of is this you know a representation of the main character's like sexuality like confronting you know traditional heterosexual male ideals with what he actually truly desires Mm -hmm. and sort of like it it feels like there's going to be like this violent confrontation but it also feels like these two could just like start wrestling and then start fucking like at any second (laughs) and so that that becomes something to where it's like i'm not getting really turned on by watching all these guys like sucking each other off and and fucking each other but at the same time like i am getting like very stimulated by like the ideas that are being expressed within the scene that's going on and just knowing that like it's this fantasy but at the same time this fantasy is very real for the character as they're experiencing it yeah and then this was a little odd to me too because i will say for the first 40 minutes of this movie i was like oh my god this is the best movie ever and then the orgy starts happening and i found myself kind of losing focus a little bit you know yeah. same thing we talked about in the last movie you know the pacing the fact that it's not really building to anything you know and even in this one it 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 kind of just ends like we yeah. don't even get like a, a money shot you know we just get like i guess they they finished or we're just like and that's a wrap, you know? And just kind of <laughs> slowly started to kind of walk away from each other and, like, a couple guys at a time leave until it's just the two guys left and they, like, kind of make out for a minute and then that guy leaves and fades off into the darkness. And then the dude is just laying there, like, looking really bummed. And I'm like, damn, like, this was the first time you really, like, lived and now it's over, you know? And then and then they show like a close-up on his dick that's also laying there just sad like limp dick (laughs) and then it like 
you know. It's like, I have so much power and girth, <laughs> but none to expend it upon. <laughs> Woe is me. And so then they zoom out, and he's laying there, and he just kind of stretches and gets back up and leaves and gets dressed. And it's it's kind of a long sequence of him leaving, getting dressed and leaving. And that, too, is like has a, a lot of like melancholy, like... You know, not, like, overtly sad dramatic, but just, like, very anticlimactic. Yeah. You know, and you're, like, sitting in that feeling. And then, like we said earlier, he walks out and it is just jarring. All the city sounds and this ugly old lady and just everything looks dirty and gross in this apartment hallway, you know. And it's just like, ugh, you know. And then he leaves and it's like, damn, that's a bummer. And then, so that the audience isn't too bummed, he walks outside, he lights a cigarette, he looks at the camera, and then he just gives, like, a big smile, like, (laughs) that was awesome! He's like, finally I have lived! (laughs) Don't feel bad for me! I will be back next Friday night, and I will be jerking off about this every night. Yeah. And the thing about it, too, is there's a lot of different ways you can look at that. Like, one way you can look at it is such is life. You have this whole period of of being confused and kind of scared of the world and then finally, like, breaking through and finding something and peaking. And then, of course, once you peak, it's like, all right, now there's just this slow kind of downhill slide. And, you know, at the end of it, you can look back and be like, you know what? I fucking lived. I fucking rocked it. You know, I'm not, I'm not sad at all. Like I crushed it. Um, then there's also another interpretation that I took and it's like, this could be like Wakefield pool trying to have like a visual representation of going on like a wild drug trip mm. to where like you're fucking dealing with your boring ass office life. And then like something crazy happens and you're just like, man, that was fucking weird. You know what? Like I got to fucking, let me, let me, you know, get this going. And then shit starts going wild and you're fucking tripping your ass off. And then that starts to come down. You're just like, oh, fuck. Now I gotta go back to reality. This fucking ugly ass old woman out here and all these fucking horns honking and shit. And it's like, you know what, though, man? It's pretty boss getting fucked up like that. That ruled. <laughs> the little smiles of the camera. Credits. Um... So, yeah, like, this this is something to where I'd love to hear a commentary track from Wakefield Pool about Oh, my it. God, yeah. Maybe he talks a lot about the ideas in the documentary. You know, I always said yes. The Many Lives of Wakefield Pool, that's what it's called. Okay. Uh, so, definitely, I want to check that out. And, yeah. you know, without even seeing it, I'm going to go ahead and recommend it to anybody listening to this. Like, if you haven't seen the films that we're discussing and they sound interesting to you, like, you should definitely check them out. Do a double feature if you want or, you know, just watch them one at a time at your leisure. Something that was also really cool about it was, so when I was trying to find a copy of Bijou to watch, like I said, I watched that trailer and then like just out of curiosity, I read the comments that were under the trailer and they, they were all kind of to the same effect of like, I don't know what the fuck I just watched, but God damn, that guy's got a big dick. <laughs> Which is true. And the first dude that he bangs, like, respect, homie. You're a true hero. Because, man, that's, that was a lot to take. You've got some real heart, man. Another thing was I, I read uh, when I watched on X videos, Boys in the Sand. 
I looked at the comments on that because I was just curious, like, okay, are they going to be kind of similar to the comments that were under Bijou to where people are like, I don't, I don't really know what was happening, but like, you know, big giant cock. So I guess I'm happy with that. But no, uh, there was a really uh, kind of heartwarming comment that was on Boys in the Sand. And it was um, somebody who said, when this movie first came out, I was living in the UK. And at the time, like, gay sex was illegal here. And just seeing this representation on the screen, it was something to where, like, it made me have a better understanding of who I was and what I wanted. And that I didn't need to feel shame about any of that. And... It was like, thank you for posting this. Like, you've made an old man very happy and brought back some great memories for me. And I was just yeah, like, that's, that. that's, that's really awesome. You know, just that he made a connection with people both at that time and, you know, even after his passing, 50 years later, uh, it's still resonating and still connecting with people. And, you know, we, we said this before about Touch Me and about Deep Throat. It's really cool that those movies can continue to have that same effect and still have relevancy. And it's the whole reason why we're doing this. Like, there's something to be said about those. And, you know, between us and Vinegar Syndrome and everybody else, like, just trying to keep this whole thing alive. Because, frankly, there's times in our modern lives to where it's just like, no, we like, we need these vibes. We need this positivity and this openness and stuff like that. Like, it makes a big difference. But specifically with this having gay films gay representation being part of the mainstreaming of porn you know that was something that was really big because unfortunately people were being repressed because of who they were because of bigotry and because of fear and all this other shit and so to have someone come out and just to see a representation of yourself up on screen when you're not used to seeing something like that is huge for people and i know that you know for me I've been pretty fortunate because, you know, even though my father was from Mexico, so I'm not necessarily part of the majority here, you know, for the most part, like, I I look and sound white. I realize, like, I have privilege that most other people don't have. And so, you know, like, I'm used to seeing, like, a representation of a character to where it's just like, yeah, no, that's me up there. You know, when you see that all the time, you take it for granted. And when you don't ever see that, and then suddenly you do see someone up there to where you can identify with them. You can see yourself in their shoes, in that role. Suddenly that's huge because that just is validation of your existence. That, you know, not necessarily like, oh, you know, I didn't really exist until I saw someone that looked like me up on screen. But more like, hey, somebody else out there thinks and feels like I do and... And someone else out there knows that I exist. It's it's so hard to put that into words. But, you know, seeing comments like that, it shows that, yeah, for people, like, this did mean something. It meant, you know, as much as it meant to us, like, it meant something way more to them, more than we'll ever know. So I thought that was really cool. And I hope that that was something that Wakefield Poole got to experience a lot during his life of people telling him exactly that. Because he just seems like a fucking awesome yeah. dude. and I, You know, I think he did get that feedback. You know, yeah. like I was reading an interview with him and he, the way he talks about his work, you know, I think he definitely felt the impact. He's always bringing up like how people reacted to certain scenes or like, oh, this always got this from the audience. And, you know, he said he's like, you know, this was, this was the first gay porn that really 
was out there, like, mainstream. I think he's very aware how much he changed the game, you know? But not yeah. in a douchey way, not in an arrogant way, you know? Like, I think it's one of those things where, like, he just felt like what he was doing was so important because it's, like, he needed a movie like that, you know? And so it's, like, if I need this, then, like, somebody else probably does too, you know? And I think he was very much in touch with, like, his community and his peers, and I think he did get to feel that, which yeah. is really awesome. Yeah, because, like, when you said that Gerard Demiano disowned his films later on in his life, like, yeah. that made me sad, because, dude, you did something that a lot of people want to do and just fail at or just never do. Yeah. And the fact that you're now wanting to turn your back on that is just, to me, like, it's it just feels so tragic. Yeah. You know, whereas if he had kind of the same attitude of, you know, yeah, like, you know, people tell me all the time, like, what this film meant to them or how it connected with them and stuff like that. Um, you know, that's really cool because the the other big thing about this is you have mainstream movies all the time and, you know, those movies will connect with people on a deep emotional level and, you know, that sort of thing. But with these movies specifically being about human sexuality... That is such a sensitive subject and it's something that's so hard for people to really be able to open up and, and express. And so having someone come along and to express something that you've struggled to express yourself, like, it's huge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, it's something that deserves to be appreciated and that's a small part of what we're trying to do here. Really amazing, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I really think everybody should go out and watch this stuff. I would definitely say, like, if only for, like, the historical value of it, it's worth watching, you yeah. know? Um, but I would hope that, like, you know, I like I said, like, I, I recommended Bijou to all sorts of different people who may or may not be interested in watching porn, who may or may not be interested in watching gay porn, you know? Yeah. But I was just like, hey, like, this is such a good movie that it's like, I think you should give it a shot watching boys in the sand like knowing how important of a film it is you know like i definitely feel like that adds to the experience of watching it watching it with that commentary and yeah i really want to see that documentary too yeah i would definitely if you don't watch it like at least read up on the people involved you know and appreciate that moment yeah and i think it would be really cool if there was an hd remake of Bijou. Like in the way that uh, you know, you had what was it? Was it nineteen like seventy two Suspiria? The Dario Argento film. So they had uh that, which is an incredible film on its own, but then they did like in twenty seventeen or something the the remake of it. And that is a really incredible film. So I'd love to see uh someone do a modern take on Bijou. Um I think that'd be really cool because there's so much that you can do now with like the visuals and everything. So that'd be really incredible. But to go back to talking about being inspirational and everything, just whatever I'm I kind of get stuck, you know, trying to make trying to make progress on like a creative project, I'm just going to kind of think about like Wakefield Pool just being like, Yeah, you know what? Like pff, fuck it, I'm gonna try this. Like what am I gonna do? Fail? Like okay. <laughs> At least I tried. Fucking legend, man. Yeah. So, hats off. Respect. Mm -hmm. 
Anything uh, you got? Uh, stuff to plug? I actually have one very exciting plug. It's going to be a one-time plug. All right, because this is this is January right here. My partner and I are going to the Tucson Fringe Festival with our one-act play, Desperate to be Seen, Horrified of Being Known, A Ghost Story. This is going to be our fourth iteration of it. We yeah. were at San Diego Fringe last summer. We put on a variety show the Halloween before that showcased that. And then we did like an open mic thing, you know, a couple years back, you know, when we first wrote it. But yeah, we're going to Arizona. And as much as Wakefield Pool is inspired by Fire Island, I am inspired by the fucking desert. We had <laughs> so many ideas for this project while we were in Tucson. And now to be able to take it back there and perform it there is like so huge and so exciting. So that is going to be uh, towards the end of January. I want to say, what is it? I want to say 19th and 20th but double check that on the Tucson <laughs> French website. Anyone in Arizona or somewhat near Arizona, definitely come check it out. It is Streetcar Meets Beetlejuice. It is a labor of love, and we are so freaking excited about it. Yeah. And, I mean, not just as your friend, but as, as somebody who, you know, enjoys stuff that is interesting, offbeat, very creative, I've seen uh, three of the four times that you've uh, performed it, and it's gotten better every single time. Um, I'd love to be able to go and see it this this upcoming time, but you know, definitely break a leg on that. And then uh, there's there's Big Feet. So if somebody wants to watch Big Feet, uh, how do they do that? Um, it is on the Good Vibe Cinema YouTube. So if you go to our Instagram, we have the link tree in our bio, and then you can find it on there. Or I guess you could just go to YouTube directly. But yeah. uh, Instagram is the happening place. Good Vibe Cinema Instagram has that. It's going to have info about the fringe stuff. It's gonna, it has all of that, you know. Um, but yeah, Big Feet. We filmed that shit a year ago, like February of last year. Yeah, almost exactly a year. And now here it is. Yeah. And it turned out really good. Yeah. <laughs> It's really cool. Uh, so if you haven't heard us describe it before, uh, Big Feet is uh, about Bigfoot. And he gets, uh, this is set in the 70s. And he gets uh, caught by a couple of um, just dudes out in the woods. Uh, they catch him with his pants down. And turns out Bigfoot's not that big. And then it becomes this <laughs> whole thing where it almost ruins his life. Uh, so it's it's all a journey, and uh, we had a lot of fun making it. I I played uh, Bigfoot, and of course you were the creative mind behind the whole thing. Dude, you fucking nailed it, though. <laughs> like, that was so fun. And then is um is coming soon? Uh, is that also on the Good Vibe Cinema? It is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then of course on our Instagram, uh, Vibe Talking Instagram. You'll find a lot of really cool content from us. We uh, had a recent shoot that we've got some video and images from up there that I'm super happy with. All the stuff that we have on there, I think, is it's awesome. Uh, we're, we're using this podcast as an excuse <laughs> to do all these elaborate photo and video shoots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, like, we got some really cool promos that uh, we've been taking uh, clips from the podcast and putting it together with the video footage. 
the last one we did, I feel like, turned out extremely well. So good. Yeah. And, of course, you know, if you're not on Instagram, you can still find that on the Good Vibe uh, Cinema YouTube page. Mm -hmm. So check us out. If you want to reach out to us, vibetalking at gmail.com. We asked a while back on our Sex World episode... If you have a good um, phone sex script that you want to share with us. Or a bad phone sex script. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> a phone si- sex script of any quality. Wakefield, pull that shit. Don't be afraid to fail. <laughs> and you'll be surprised about what you can achieve. But yeah, send it to us. And uh, we want to try and do like some mini-sode uh, content and put that out for people. So uh, do that. But also like if you have any feedback, if you have any suggestions that you'd like for us to check out, you know... Use that as a line of communication. Yeah, I would love to hear, like, what some of you guys' favorite movies are. You know? Because, like, there's so many out there that, like, we've probably never even heard of. You know? So it's like, yeah, any recommendation would be super rad. Yeah, I I think it would be super interesting, too, to hear from people, like, what was the first porn you ever watched? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. Because that's the one that will really stick with you. But, you know, what was the first porn that that really made an impact on you, too? Mm -hmm. Like, tell us. Hit us up. Damn. So much good shit going on. Yeah. (laughs) Happy New Year's, guys. Yeah, let's fucking crush it in 2023, you guys. Hell, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for me. All right. Good night, guys.